you would please open your Bibles to the book of Daniel. We are in Daniel chapter 7. This is God's word. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying on his bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off. And it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a man, and the heart of a man was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard, And on its back it had four wings, like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot Whatever was left, it was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain, and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. 
I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the true meaning of all this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kingdoms that will rise from the earth, but the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Then I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying, with its iron teeth and bronze claws, the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up before which three of them fell, the horn that looked more imposing than the others and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the saints and defeating them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his saints and try to change the set times and the laws. The saints will be handed over to him for a time, times, and a half time. But the court will sit, and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts, and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy an inspired word. Okay, Pastor Red, I'm trusting that you're going to be able to explain all of this to us. Who's who and what does this mean? And I'm just, We're not even trying to go there, okay? What I want you to see, if you want to know what is the main takeaway from today, here it is. God has already determined the future. And so you and I do not have to fear future events. We're not the ones who are controlling everything that's happening. From time to time, and she wouldn't mind my sharing this, from time to time, my wife will say to me, why did we let this happen? Talking about some world events. Because my wife, God bless her, grew up under the impression that somehow we are responsible to control what goes on out there. We can't. 
We can impact some things. But one of the most challenging things in growing up is learning what you can and can't control. What things I do make what sort of impact elsewhere. As little babies, we start processing this. We discover that if you're in a nice, loving home, when we cry, someone comes. Okay? And it's conditioned behavior on our part. Now, crying is natural. Uh, The song, Away in a Manger, has always bugged me. It says, uh, cattle are lowing, the poor baby wakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. That's not true. That's not biblical. Jesus cried as an adult. Okay? So the idea that, you know, why why do they put that in a song for children? Because they don't want children to cry. And so if, you know, you be like Jesus, don't cry. Just stuff your emotions, honey. It'll be good for you. Not true. Not true. So as little kids, we do what God wired us to do. We cry. Now, we don't just cry, thankfully, but we cry. And when we cry, if you're in a good nurturing environment, somebody responds. Okay? That doesn't mean that If you're a loving parent, every time your child cries, you must give them whatever they want. That would be conditioning them in another bad way. But we discover, I cry, they come. But then one day, something else happens. I'm down on the floor, and there's a toy, and I I reach out for it, and just at the time that I'm touching that thing, An adult walks into the room and turns on the light. And so, in my little tiny mind, I think, I just turned on the light. Okay? Wrong. And I discover it's wrong because later, when I want to turn the light on and I touch that thing, the light doesn't come on. Light's not coming on. Why? Well, eventually I figure out, okay, I guess that wasn't what turned on the light. I guess the giant that came in the room knows how to turn on the light. We spend a lot of time in early childhood figuring out what we can control and what we can't control. If I do this, this happens. If I don't do this, this doesn't happen. But the problem is some of us as adults are under the impression that we can control a lot more than we can. Okay? I cannot control whether or not China invades Taiwan. I cannot control whether or not a demoniac in Russia invades a bunch of wicked people in Ukraine. I thought you liked the Ukrainians. I like the Russians. Do you know what? All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if we all got what we deserve, it wouldn't just be bombardment. It would be hell. So, Daniel is given a vision of the future that is scary. 
It's overwhelming. He describes himself as being appalled. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts. My face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. At the end of chapter 8, when he's had more visions, I, Daniel, verse 27 of chapter 8, was exhausted and lay ill for several days. Then I got up and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. We're not going to look at chapter 8 today. But I'm telling you, God gave Daniel visions of the future, and he didn't like what he saw. He didn't like what he saw. Why? Get ready for this, because there's going to be a lot of bad stuff. There's going to be a lot of bad stuff in the future, including, as he describes in this vision in chapter 7, the fact that there will be a time when the saints of God, that's not dead people, that's people who are his children now, are being persecuted by a wicked world power that is guaranteed by God to do horrible things. You mean God made that power do horrible things? No, but God said this is what's going to happen. And when it does, God's going to not only know about it, God's told us about it in advance. So for us to think, well, you know, I prayed and asked Jesus to save me, and therefore I know I won't have to go through bad times. Oh, yeah, you will. Jesus, in fact, said, in this world, you will have tribulation. But don't be afraid. I've already overcome the world. In other words, the outcome is going to be fine. I've told you before about one of our graduates who had a brain tumor. And he told his family, don't be upset. One of two things is going to happen. Either I'm going to be healed and have a miraculous testimony, or I'm going to be in heaven, which is better by far. I mean, you, you, can't, you can't find anything on earth that's as good as heaven. So he said, either way, I win. Don't be afraid. And God chose to heal him, miraculously. So he didn't have any medical treatment? Oh, no, he had medical treatment that was not expected to fix it. But God healed him. So, uh, so that, that's the way it works. The way it works is we win either way. We win either way. If we get killed, huh, can't hurt me now. Years ago, I talked with a fellow who, whose life was chronicled in the book Brother Andrew, God's Smuggler. And I asked him, when you go into these countries where it's illegal for you to be bringing in Bibles, aren't you afraid that you're going to get caught? He said, oh, I've been caught. I said, well, aren't you afraid that they're going to, you know, like beat you, put you in prison, whatever? He said, well, they've done that. And I said, well, you know, you're not afraid? He said, no. 
He said, if they put me in jail, I know that the Lord has some people in jail he wants me to talk to. And he said, and if they kill me, I go to heaven. And then they can't do anything else to me. So no matter what happens, I win. That is the perspective that God wants us to have. It's not that when we look at future events, we think, oh, no problem. Beatings? I, I love beatings. No. Daniel saw what was coming and it looked dreadful. But he also knew God's in control. And that's what we need to understand. God is in control. Well, Pastor, will you please give us at least a little insight about these, uh, these you know, the, the vision of the, like the, the kingdoms and the, you know, what, what, what is the, uh, what are the four kingdoms? Did you tell us that? Well, I'll, I'll tell you two things about it. Number one, it is generally believed, and I think correctly, that the first kingdom is the Babylonian kingdom. This vision came while Nebuchadnezzar's son was ruling as king. So the kingdom of Babylon, which we've already heard about it being overthrown two chapters earlier, but the kingdom of Babylon was still there when this vision came to him. And then the second kingdom is the one that he told Belshazzar about, and that is the kingdom of the Medes and Persians. The third kingdom is that of Greece, Alexander the Great. And even after Alexander's death, because he died really young, even after his death, because of his military conquests, Greek culture was spread all over the Mediterranean. And even after the Greek uh, administration, if you will, was overthrown by the Romans, the people were still speaking Greek. The New Testament was written in Greek, even though Rome was in power. The political language was Latin. The language of government was Latin. The language of commerce was Greece, was Greek. And so the people spoke Greek, and the people read Greek. Alexander's kingdom was the third kingdom, the Greek civilization. The fourth was Rome. So all this is in the rearview mirror? Actually, no. Often in Scripture, when something is prophesied, it has a short-term fulfillment and a long-term fulfillment. Things that God said would happen happened, and there's going to be another echo later down. And in fact, that becomes, for many of us, the more significant fulfillment. In the book of Isaiah, we have the prophecy of a child that's to be born. And the child was born. But it wasn't just a prophecy of that child. It was a prophecy of another child. And this child is Jesus. Well, I thought it had already been fulfilled. It was. But that fulfillment was a foreshadowing of this fulfillment. Abraham prophesied 
when he said to his son Isaac, as they hiked up Mount Moriah, the Lord will provide the sacrifice on the mountain. And God did. Because before Abraham killed his son Isaac, God spoke to him, stopped him, spared Isaac, and provided a ram that was caught in the thicket. And that was what he was to offer as a substitute. But that was just a picture. That whole thing, the taking his beloved son and offering him as a sacrifice on the mountain, it was all just a picture of what was to come. God had told his people in Egypt, you are to sacrifice a lamb. And you're to put the blood of the lamb in a basin in the doorway and take a hyssop branch and dip it in the blood and then put it on the top of the door and the two sides. They didn't know they were making the sign of the cross in blood over their doorway. They didn't understand that. But that's exactly what they were doing because God told them what to do. It would be all those generations later when Jesus is meeting with his disciples that he explained what that was pointing to. God had said, do this and I'll deliver you out of bondage. The death of the lamb would provide covering so that God's people would not be destroyed. But Jesus, celebrating that event with his disciples, told them what no one had ever said before. He broke the bread, having given thanks, and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. All of you drink of it. That which God had done pointed to that which God would do. And this story of what happened in the years after Daniel, much of it after Daniel was dead, points to what's going to happen at the end also. And so if you read the book of Daniel and then you read the book of Revelation, you realize that there have already been many things fulfilling what was prophesied. But there's more to come. There is more to come. And the final fulfillment... By the way, Pastor, I just need to interrupt you right there. You need to know there are some wonderful Reformed scholars who who believe that all that stuff now, it's, it's all past. And yeah, I know. I know. I know there are people who say that. But read the book of Romans which every Reformed theologian has got to love the book of Romans, okay? Read the book of Romans and see what it says about what's going to happen when God has harvested all the Gentiles who are elect. And that is, God still has plans for Israel. Oh, no, 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 no. Just read it again. Just go back and read it again. Yeah, but not not all the physical descendants of Abraham are Israel. That's right. We've been grafted in. 
But God still has a plan for those who are his natural children. I'm not sure I agree with you. I didn't write it. Okay? It's the book of Romans. Paul wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I just happen to believe it. What God says here is that the kingdom is going to be given over to the saints. And after it looks like we're being whipped by the Antichrist, God's going to say, enough. The beast is going to be destroyed. And God's people are going to rule as he promised. We will rule and reign with him. So, you're saying tough times are ahead. Yeah, yeah. But you may not live long enough to see them. I can't believe you said that. I'm just trying to keep us biblical in our perspective. None of us is guaranteed the rest of today. You understand that? How, are you afraid that we're going to get nuked by Russia? No, I'm not afraid of anything. Okay? But, but you think we might get nuked by Russia? I don't think so. I don't think, I mean, I just don't think that Wears Valley is a high priority target for nuclear attack. Oak Ridge, on the other hand, I'm thinking of moving there. Just kidding. <laughs> well, let me just ask you this. If there were a nuclear strike, would you rather be in the radiation zone or would you rather be in, in the turn to ash zone? Okay. Personally, I've always wished that when I die, I wouldn't be aware of it. Okay, you know? It's just like one minute I'm tying my shoes and the next minute I'm like, wow! <laughs> That'd be great. I had a friend that happened to. He came in from a run, bent down to untie his shoe, and he was gone. What a way to go. I mean, it's shocking for everybody who was with him. He was a great athlete. Until he wasn't. But I'll tell you something. I had another friend in Atlanta, a parishioner of ours. He said to his wife, my head is killing me. Those are his last words. His head was killing him. He had a massive brain aneurysm. He was gone. Pastor Will, I can't believe you bring up all these morbid subjects. You talk about people dying. Why do you do this? Are you just trying to scare us? No, I'm trying to teach you not to be afraid. If you know that you are in God's hands, you don't have to be afraid. But you're saying, I might die. Yeah, you're gonna die. You may die at age 104, trying to figure out where you are. Okay? I mean, if you want to wear depends and drool, okay. But, but I'm telling you, we don't control that. Understand? We don't control that. Well, no, I'm a very safe driver. Yeah, but the person coming the other way may not be. I know a guy who was driving up 75. I could tell you stories all day long. I know a guy who was driving up Interstate 75. He was a wonderful Christian man. And a 
tractor-trailer truck coming down the other side of the interstate lost a wheel, one of those great big wheels. And it came rolling down the interstate and bounced over the median and hit him. Who saw that coming? God. I mean, he didn't. He didn't do anything wrong. He, well, he was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. No, he was in the right place at the right time, and he got hit by a tractor-trailer tire. You and I are not in control. Don't do this and try and turn on the light. Doesn't work. We don't control everything. But I'll tell you what the Bible says those who are filled with the Holy Spirit do have control over. Yourself. Self-control is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit's control in your life. Who can tame the tongue? Man, none of us is able to control his own mouth. But the Holy Spirit can if you yield yourself to him. You want self-control? I just don't have any self-control. I just can't, you know, I'm just one of these people, you know, kind of high energy. I've always been that way. I'm just wired that way. I just, yeah, I can't control it, okay? Yeah, I have that problem sometimes when I'm speaking. My arm just goes wild. Don't be crazy. You have control. And you have responsibility. How do I, how do I get self-control? Yield yourself to him. Yield yourself to him and face the future unafraid because it's already been written. God has already determined what's going to happen and for us to behave as if it's up to us now, we've got to seize the day and control the future. No, that's going to be the attitude of the Antichrist and the people on his team. And if you think, by the way, that you can stop the Antichrist, I've had people over the years, you know, Pastor, we've got to do something. What, what are you talking about? Well, they're doing this, and it's moving us all toward a one-world government. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, we've got to stand against it. What do you, what do you mean? Well, I mean, we, we can't let it happen. You mean, the reason you're concerned about it is because the Bible says there's going to be a one-world government, one-world economy, one-world religion, etc. That's what concerns you. Yes! Well, if God said that's what's going to happen, how are you thinking we're going to stop this? Well, I don't have to like it. Of course not. Well, it's going to be bad. Yes. What are we going to do? We're going to trust God and obey Him and suffer as required. Well, you're just, you're, you're just a fatalist. You just think that you know, there's nothing we can do. No, there's a lot we can do. We can shine. We can love our enemies. We can pray for one another and for lost people. Don't be afraid. Do not fear. God is on the throne. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for loving us more than we can imagine. You are the great king. You rule over all. And therefore, we take great comfort 
in your love. We take great comfort in your power. We take great comfort in your wisdom. You not only know the future, it's all under your control. What a great God. What a great Father. What a great Savior. What a great destiny is ours. Thank you, Lord. You've promised us the kingdom. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. May we be obedient. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.